0: So here's the debate. Should you ever leave a liquor store empty-handed? Well, here's my perspective. So if you watched our video, the seven things that liquor stores hate about whiskey lovers, you probably saw this. Hey man. Hey. Uh, you got any Blanton gold? Um, no, no, we don't have any of that. Um, okay. Thanks anyways. Um, we we got a lot of good whiskey here on the shelf, so uh, you don't want to grab anything? I'm good, man. I'm just looking for stuff I can sell in the parking lot, you know what I mean? <laughs> now, after that video aired, we got a lot of views, and that was great, and we got a lot of comments and interaction, which I always love, but there were a number of you that were upset that I suggested that you should not leave the liquor store empty-handed, and I felt like there was an opportunity for learning and connection there, so we're going to dive deep into it. First of all, let me say that this video only applies to individuals that are on the hunt for rare or allocated bottles. If you're going to go in and get your Jim Beam, and you're always going to get your Jim Beam or whatever your favorite drinker is, and you don't care about hunting allocated bottles, then you can stop watching now. There's no reason for you to keep watching. I will also say that all of this information only applies to stores that sell for around MSRP. This information does not necessarily apply to price gouge stores. Now to fully understand this topic, you need to understand the plight of the liquor store. So the first thing you need to know is that it's very difficult for them to get their hands on these allocated bottles. It's not like they just put in an order and then it shows up the next day. They have a rep from each one of the wholesalers that kind of gives them instructions on what they're gonna have to do to be able to get the allocated bottles. And often they're having to do things that are contrary to their business instincts, like buy products that they may not have customers for, and then instruct their salespeople on how to sell those products when people come in. That's not a lot of fun. So if you understand the effort that they're going through, it's gonna help you to understand why this advice is so important. They are wanting to use these bottles to attract loyal customers. Why do they care about loyal customers? Well, because when you think about these allocated bottles, most liquor stores only have about a 20% gross margin on whatever it is that they're selling. So that means that a BTAC sold at MSRP, which is $119.99, They only make about $30 on that. Well, how many bottles of BTAC does a store get per year? Maybe 10 if they're lucky. So if you do the math on that, they bust their humps all year long to get access to 10 bottles. They make $30 gross profit per bottle. They make $300 a year off of their allocated bottles. Do you think that that amount of money makes any difference to the liquor store at all? Because I'm telling you right now that it absolutely does not. The average liquor store in the United States is 1,850 square feet. And the average rent for a liquor store location is about $250 per square foot per year. So if you do the math on that, the average liquor store's monthly rent alone is $37,500. So all their allocated bottles won't even pay for but one-tenth of 1% of what the rent cost in one single month. And that's why what they do with these bottles is so critical. I keep hearing people making comments about, well, you know, aren't they in this to make money? Absolutely, they are. But the smart liquor store will take those bottles and use them to form relationships with regular customers. And the prospect of getting these bottles may be able to attract, I don't know, a thousand customers that come in and buy their regular daily drinkers. So if you can attract 1,000 customers in one year that are going to spend, say, $1,000 a year in your store at a 25% gross margin, now your 10 allocated bottles have attracted a quarter million dollars worth of gross revenue per year, and that's enough to make a difference. Now, from the customer's perspective, they're going in and looking at these allocated bottles for several reasons. Some people want to drink them. Some people want to collect them, put them on a shelf and look at them, and some people want to sell them, what we call flipping. That's where you buy a bottle, usually close to MSRP, and you sell it on the secondary market for many times what you paid for it. Regardless of the customer's motivation for why they want the bottle, a loyal customer that consistently goes into a store and buys shelf-available products develops a sense of expectation, if you will. And they expect to be taken care of by that store in the future whenever those rare and allocated items come in. Now, here's where some of you guys have been missing it. If the store takes their few rare and allocated items and distributes them in an inappropriate way, they stand to lose all thousand of those regular customers that are the ones that are really paying the bills, okay? I've seen scenarios, it's happened to me personally, where I found out that the store did something with an allocated bottle that had been actually promised to me. And I have never stepped foot in that store again. And I was a major buyer. And I've heard plenty of stories like that. And that's what the stores are afraid of. And that's why they're so cautious about how they decide who's going to get to buy those bottles. The store has a very strong incentive to make sure they're picking the right people to sell these bottles to. And that incentive is actually survival. Because if they do it wrong, they're going to end up losing so much revenue. Potentially, in this scenario, a quarter million dollars worth of gross revenue per year and they don't want to risk that. And the way that they avoid that is they make sure that they, they're they selling bottles to customers that are loyal, that are drinkers, that are not flippers. And they have to follow the context clues that you're giving them when you walk into the store to determine what category of buyer you are. Oh, well, hello there, you fellow bourbon lovers, you. I don't know why I'm talking like that. Anyways, I want to invite you over to the bourbonrealtalk.com store today. After the show, go check it out. We've got new merch that's just hit the shop. We've got travel cases for your uh, wee glens and your big glens. We've got toppers for your glens as well. We've got the rocks glasses that we offer now and all the other cool merch that you're used to seeing there. So go check it out after the show and support the channel by checking out our store and picking up a couple things and getting them on your doorstep. Up a few days later, we can't wait for you to check out all the new merch that we've got to offer now at bourbonrealtalk.com. So here's where it's going to get a little bit weird. We're going to talk about an analogy because I think this will help you wrap your head around the situation that these liquor stores are in. Now, I wanna say from the onset that this is not meant to be gender specific or even sexually orientation specific. Um, What I want you to do is imagine yourself in a room filled up with people, okay? And all of the people in the room are whatever sexual orientation and gender you're personally attracted to. So all of these people, you could potentially have a relationship with, okay? Now I want you to imagine that one after another these individuals are walking up to you. They don't say hi. They don't ask your name. All they say is, hey, do you want to hook up? And you say, no, no, thank you. The next person walks up, hey, do you want to hook up? And you go, nah, the last guy just asked that. I'm not interested in that. You, you know, you can, you can move along. And one right after another, people just come up and say, hey, do you want to hook up? Until finally, somebody walks up and says, hey, what's your name? I've never seen you in here before. What, what brings you in here? You strike up a conversation. They start asking about your interest. They ask you if you want to, you know, maybe go out and get some coffee sometime or have a drink. How differently are you going to feel about that individual that showed interest in you and your needs and your expectations over the other people? And that's how it works with the liquor stores, right? The person that is coming in and asking for allocated bottles comes across as somebody who's saying, hey, do you want to hook up? It's selfish. It only serves that individual's needs. That person has shown no interest in having a long-term relationship that's mutually beneficial. So if you can wrap your head around that, you can start to understand why how you behave when you're in a liquor store is gonna have a major impact on whether or not you ever get access to allocated bottles. Now, I did have a funny thought though, because if a MSRP liquor store views people who are coming in and just asking for allocated bottles and not showing any interest in them in the long term is viewed kind of as a hookup type situation. The flip side of that analogy is a price gouge store is the prostitution equivalent of business, right? Because they're not taking the time to build relationships with their customers. They're saying, hey, I will sell myself out if you give me the right amount of money. And I think that that's part of the reason why whiskey lovers get so frustrated with liquor stores that price gouge because they're very happy to go in and be a loyal customer, but they want it to be a mutually symbiotic relationship and not just based on money. So let's talk about a few store scenarios. Uh, First scenario is you call up a liquor store and you say, hey, do you have any rare or allocated bottles? First off, you are always going to be told no, because there are no liquor stores that would tell you that they had allocated bottles for you to come in and buy. This would be the dating equivalent of sending an unsolicited nude to somebody. It's completely selfish. It makes you look like, you know, just a self-interested person in general. And they don't want to help you out. The second scenario is where somebody walks in. They ask, do you have any allocated bottles? The store says no. And then you walk out empty handed. And this is what inspired the video because I told people not to do that. Um, But people who do that have just created a mental marker in the minds of the store decision maker. They don't know whether or not you left because you don't like whiskey or because you don't have enough resources to always buy something when you go in the store. But you just created a mental marker that put you in the category of a potential flipper, right? Right. Because in their minds, if you were interested in drinking whiskey, you would have left with something. But if you're only interested in buying the whiskey that can be sold for many times more than MSRP, you come across as a potential flipper. So the next scenario is you walk in, you ask, they say no, but you buy something before you leave. Well, now you've created a mental marker that, especially if you bought a bottle of whiskey, that you're a whiskey drinker. This is a good sign to the liquor store. The liquor store wants to sell to people who, who are drinkers, who support their long-term business, business objectives, and who are not going to flip the bottle. And so by not leaving empty-handed, you took away the thought of maybe you're a flipper. By buying a bottle, you made yourself a drinker in their minds, and you have also shown them that you care about their long-term business objectives. The fourth scenario, and the one that I would recommend, is where you walk in, you buy something, you make yourself known, you're friendly, cordial, you have a discussion, but you maybe don't even ask about allocated bottles the first time you went into the store, right? In fact, you don't do anything like that until after you know that they know who you are and you know that you have built a space in their mind as somebody who is a loyal customer. Now the counter arguments to all of this are that, hey, aren't they a for profit business? You know, I had people say, isn't my money just as green as everybody else's? Well, that's why I laid out the actual store scenario where what they have to go through to get the bottles is extreme and the cost of running a liquor store is extreme because you need to understand you are not benefiting the store whenever you buy their allocated bottles. I get that they have a little bit of gross profit in there, but like I said, the average store's gross profit on allocated bottles annually is probably less than $500. So that's not enough to move the business needle for them. So yes, they would make money. If they sold it to you, but not nearly as much as if they held that bottle back and rewarded a customer who had engaged in the right kind of business activity with them throughout the year and kept that person as a loyal customer. That means a whole lot more to them. The other thing that I heard was I stop in a liquor store so frequently that they shouldn't expect me to spend money every time I go in there. Well, I get that logic and. It's not necessarily that they expect it, but you've made yourself suspect and it's pretty easy to avoid it. Number one, you can avoid it by buying something. It doesn't have to be a bottle of whiskey every time. Now, I have a lot of people over to my house, so I always need a bottle of whiskey every time I go to the store. But maybe you just buy um, a bag of potato chips or a bottle of water and have a nice conversation with the person. But them seeing you buying something shows that you're at least a customer. If you buy the whiskey, it shows that you're a drinker. But if you buy something, you're at least a customer. Um, The other thing is, is because of that mental marker, you want to avoid that at all cost. And I think that you would save yourself a whole lot of time by not going into liquor stores pointlessly. And you would actually end up with more allocated bottle purchasing opportunities If you reduce the frequency that you went to the store to only times that you had something to buy and every single time you had an interaction with that store's decision maker, it was a mental marker of you being a drinker, you being a buyer that supports the business and you being somebody who doesn't flip bottles. That is actually the most efficient way to build a relationship and to get access. So, in conclusion, I want you to one, stop calling liquor stores and asking if they have allocated bottles. Number two, do not engage in any behavior when you're in the liquor store that could indicate that you're not an avid drinker, that you don't care about the future business prospects of that store, or that you might be a flipper. And number three, always be kind, show yourself to be a drinker, and engage in those kinds of conversations that build relationships. So while we're on the subject of relationships, if this is the first time you've watched this channel, I would like to tell you about our show, Philosophy. So this channel is about bringing people together around bourbon. And connectedness is something that's near and dear to my heart because I lost a loved one to suicide in 2014. And in the aftermath, you know, you spend a lot of time thinking, you know, what could have been done and what went wrong. And what I realized was, There are probably people all around that feel alone, like my brother did. And if I could do anything to help that, I wanted to. And when I started seeing the connected power, the connective power of bourbon, I realized I'm going to try to help people get connected to whiskey. And then I'm going to let the whiskey do the rest of the job to get people connected to one another. Because when you get involved in this, you start to interact with people. You start to be invited to bottle shares and things like that. And you form a whole new group of friends. And that's a beautiful thing. Now, one of the downsides of getting involved in any social media is sometimes people are negative to one another because of the anonymity provided by that computer screen. And they'll say all kinds of crazy things to strangers. Uh, But I realized that if somebody can show hate to you online as a stranger, it's just as easy for me to love you, which is why I sign off every podcast the same way. And that's this. If you woke up this morning and you were unsure whether or not anyone loved you, just know that I love you. And I'll see you next time on Bourbon Real Talk.